You're listening to episode 378 of the GNU World Order. My name's Klaatu. I have a really great cup of coffee here that I am going to be sipping on throughout the episode. I'll try to do it quietly. Of course, midway through the show, as usual, we will have a coffee break, so you can go get yourself some coffee if you think of that uh, in advance, and I'll go get myself a refill. In this episode, we'll be talking about some of the packages that come pre-installed or or that come installed with a Slackware Linux install. That's what we've been doing for the past couple of episodes, um, and by couple I mean going back a year now, I think. Picking up right now in the AP software set of Slackware installed disks, or directories as the case may be, starting with N as in normalize, and that's exactly the application we'll be talking about first, and then we'll move on to PA Mixer, see where we go from there. So let's start talking about normalize, which is an audio processing application. Now, if you are not on Slackware, you may find normalize in your software repository as normalize-audio. That's not the name of the application. It's the name of the, the package and probably, possibly the command after after you install it. You'll just want to check in and, and see what they call it on your distribution is my point. I know for a fact that Debian calls it normalize-audio. I, I guess I don't know it as a fact because I haven't I haven't used Debian in, in quite a while. Last time I used Debian, it was called Normalize-Audio, and that was a point of some confusion for some people, so just be aware of that. On Slackware, it's just called Normalize, and um, I don't I don't know if there's a man page for it. Is there? Yes, there is. Okay, well, I've never... I, I don't really look at the man page all that much. It is one of those commands that I just use the help menu because it's all after you read the man page it becomes relatively self-explanatory there aren't that many options is what i'm trying to say by default what normalize how normalize works is that it analyzes the volume of whatever file or files you feed it and then it adjusts or it rather applies gain to increase the the perceived volume of of that file or it limits it 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 limits the 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 peak wavelengths to bring that volume down thereby reaching ideally some some very middle of the road average across the entire song and from the numbers that it provides in the documentation it is attempting to achieve a an average amplitude of negative 12 decibels or as it says dbfs and this is actually a distinction and term that i i just learned about i didn't realize that there was such a thing called dbfs and i wonder if this explains an email that i got it must have been three five years ago now or something like that uh, someone was saying that they'd been in the audio business for a while and and they had never heard of i don't know something that i was talking about in relation to decibels and and I think it might have been actually the the leveling the the level of of sound, and it it confused me as to why the difference would have been. And then I, uh, someone it might have been Taj. Why would Taj know about this? He might know about that sort of thing. Um, from from Dev Random, he 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 chimed in I think, or someone did, and was it was, it was saying that there were sort of different expressions of of what a decibel was referring to, and I, I don't remember the ultimate the the resolution of of this or even if we reached a resolution but i i know that in my uh in in the couple of classes i did take before i dropped out of university in the in in film there was in sound for film specifically there was the the, the, the there's the, the industry standard is that there is a negative uh, 12 or negative 15 it kind of depends on whether you're in film or in television that's the standard average sound that you're looking for is is negative 12 that's kind of your baseline or or rather that is not your baseline that is your that is your average that's the average that you're looking for the the average rate or the average volume you're looking for is negative 12 db and that means that or negative 15 and that means that when someone shouts or there's an explosion and you want something to really pop for the listener you're allowed from negative 12, there's this relative, you know, there's a, a relative a, a ratio there of, oh my gosh, something just exploded and made a noise that's negative one decibels. Isn't that loud? Well, yes, it is, because you've set your volume 
on your television to negative, or yeah, to negative 12, or, or rather, you have set it for a volume that at negative, that sounds at negative 12 dB are sounding listenable to you. That's your, that's your comfortable volume for what you're listening to. And then suddenly something explodes on screen and it's negative one. Well, wow, that blows you out of your seat because that's a lot louder, um, now through your speakers than what you had anticipated. And in film, that, that, that level is negative 15 dB because you, there's an expectation that you just have a little bit more volume to play with in a big theater. It's, it's, that's just what, you know, people expect for the, the explosions to be that much louder, and so, so you, you have a little bit more of a, of a, of a playground there, a, a bigger spectrum to, to mess around with. That way you can have pops of, of laser guns or something that are, or clashes of laser swords that are, that are at this volume, and then explosions that go up even higher, so you, you've got, you got more room to um to to design within and of course whispers if if your normal speaking voice is around negative 15 db or negative 12 db whatever then your whispers would would go down to like negative 17 negative 18 something like that well apparently there's this thing called a dbfs a decibel for full spectrum or or decibels full spectrum yeah something like that and and what that is talking about is okay well there's this decibel rating there's this measurement of of sound but the the thing that we are measuring has a hard ceiling to it and and that is true in digital audio uh in 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 analog audio y- you can do lots of different things and in and in fact sometimes that would occur You'd have really intense sounds, so much so that it would literally break a speaker. If you've ever played uh, a musical instrument and plugged it into an amp, then you may have experienced that. A power cord or or just something, you know, plugging into a, an amp that you forgot to turn down, and there's a big electrical pop to it. That can actually damage the, the speaker, and that's because there's no... This is just... this. These are pure sound waves being sent from one... A thing to another there's no there's nothing there's nothing recreating that sound wave it is just the force of sound that is occurring uh well and being amplified and so on but there's no ceiling there it can be as loud as it as physics allows it to be whereas digital audio is different what we're doing is we're essentially programming in sound waves and then we're requesting for the digital object to recreate those sound waves in in some way and so in digital audio just as in digital video there is a there's a there's a level at which the digital recreation just have no, it has no more space for definition it doesn't know what to do with with data beyond a certain point and for digital audio that is zero decibels that's the peak that's as loud as you can go in digital audio and then it starts getting clipped just as in in digital video at, at a certain point of whiteness you 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 simply peak out there's no there's no more there's no brighter that that something could get than all pixel all lights on all on the pixels are on it's 255 255 and 255 that's it so there is a there's a ceiling to these things because we're just we're recreating them digitally and dbfs recognizes that and says well we are going to work within this parameter from negative dbfs up to really zero would be the hard ceiling but what normalize shoots for is a negative six generally so it's going to typically peak out at negative six and it's going to keep the average sound level at around negative 12 and that's what it goes for and that's what it does and i would play you the results of normalize on a bunch of different sound files but i don't believe because this file itself the one that you're hearing right now but that i'm recording right now in your past this file will be normalized uh well actually it won't be normalized but we'll talk about that in a moment it will be adjusted before you hear it and so i would i would be you'd be hearing the results of normalize which would be then processed and that wouldn't make any sense so um i I, i'm not going to bother you with with sounds with the results of normalize but it, it is worth having a play with if you are creating a podcast yourself or or audio files yourself and you think well maybe there's some optimization i could do here although i'm gonna say honestly normalize um it's good it's an effective little command it's not great for raw audio to be honest it's really something 
that is, I think, better for audio that has been processed already, it's been mastered and released, and it's in its prime optimum state, you just happen to want to put five of them together, they weren't mastered together, so you then, you, you, ha you have different levels, right? And, and albums know this, Al one collection of an al of songs on an, an, an album when they take it into mastering into that last step before you know when they lay all those tracks down onto whatever media they're laying it down onto hard drive these days they know that they want as you as you put on the album you should be able to just adjust your volume to one thing for yourself, whatever's comfortable for your ears, and it's different for different people and different occasions. And then you shouldn't have to adjust that volume anymore. And so they know that they're, they're aware of this when they're making albums, and they do that intentionally. And they kind of settle on the, the average sound that makes sense for that album. And it's different for different albums, right? If it's a soft, lilting, gentle, synth pad, uh, ambient album, then quite possibly that average sound will be higher because they know that they just don't peak out all that much. They don't have the big s snaps of snare drums or, or blasts of trumpets. That's not a concern for them. They know that it's going to be consistent and steady, and so they may just decide, well, we're just going to, we'll have our baseline set at, um, I don't know, negative six, and and that'll be it. And maybe there'll be some peaks here and there a little bit as, as volumes, as, as volumes do, do have variation. Different sounds will, will, will swell and it'll, it'll go up. It'll, it'll start to get near negative one dB. But that's as loud as it'll ever get. And so it's not a big deal. We don't have to adjust. We don't have to offset anything. Whereas a, a pop album with lots of, lots of drum beats and, and maybe uh, guitar things happening and, and maybe people screaming one minute and, and whispering another minute, then they have to bring that sort of average down to accommodate for the loud bits and the soft bits. So normalize, when it, when it does, its, does its work, it analyzes the sound file and figures out what the loudest portion of it would would be and what the softest portion will be and it adjusts the sound waves based on that on that an analysis now you can you you can have it not do that and the the way that you would do that is uh, the dash dash peak option which tells it to adjust just by peak level don't use loudness analysis don't try to get a feel for like the average volume of this song just look at the peaks and make sure that the the loudest it gets never goes above negative um, 6 db i would say generally speaking that's not what you would probably want because generally speaking i think you would want the average to be consistent across your your mixtape as it were. So the normal use of normalize, I think, the usual, the, the intended sort of catch-all use would be normalize, and then maybe a limiter if you're nervous about that. Um, but really, I think it would just be normalize, and then the name of the sound file, or, or the name of the sound files, plural. And if you want to see what normalize would do before it actually does it you can pass dash dash no dash adjust and that'll look at the sound file it will tell you in fact i'll do that right now normalize dash dash no adjust and i'm gonna send it this this arbitrary sound file and see what it does and it, it scans through it and then it gives me it gives me the computed levels it says that the level is going to be negative 12 the peak is going to be zero and the gain is going to be 0.19 so it's going to it's going to apply 0.19 gain to get it to this to this level and that's um that's basically pretty expected the peak is a lot louder than i would have expected actually but maybe that's um i don't know maybe that's just what it calculated so, so it does kind of tell you um, what it's doing. Now you can kind of intervene. So you could do limiter dash dash limiter, and then tell it, well, I really only want the peak to go up to negative three decibel dBFS, and it will process it, ensuring that the peak doesn't go over negative three. Or you could do negative one, whatever, however dangerously you want to live. You can also set the amplitude so there's the target amplitude which again normally that's negative 12 db but we could do amplitude dash dash amplitude ampli 
Amplitude. Okay, got it. I wanted to put two T's in there for some reason. And we'll we'll say let's do negative twelve dB or negative uh, fifteen dB. It does not like that. That's interesting. Oh, I know why. It's because I put a space between the negative fifteen and the dBFS. So I'll take that space away and hit return again. Okay, so now we get the same calculation. The level is negative 12, the peak is 0, but the gain that it's going to apply is negative 2, which, which mostly makes sense because it, before, when it was shooting for 12, it was doing a gain of 0.19, and now it's doing a gain of negative 2.8054 dB. So that, that kind of that, that sounds about right to me. So you have a little bit of control over there. I'm, not, I'm still not really sure why the peak is showing up as 0. That's... That's really interesting. I'm not entirely sure why the limiter isn't... Maybe I'll, I'll do limit to 8, negative 8, just to see what happens. No, it keeps the peak at 0, so I'm not sure if it's telling me... I'm not sure if this output is telling me the current peak that it that it found is at 0. Uh, that must be what it's saying. It must be telling me that the lev the current level is negative 12, the peak is 0, and the gain is negative... The gain that would be applied were I to run this is a negative two. That kind of makes some sense. So anyway, that's uh, I've never actually looked at this. I've always I've always run it, and I never actually looked at the no adjust output, as far as I can recall. And, and I did use this. I used this quite a lot back during a time when I was making these podcasts, and I was trying to create them in segments. So I would record one segment, and then the next segment, and then the next segment, and then I would string them together. I would normalize them, string them together, and that was the show. And, I mean, that did work for a while, and I, I didn't mind it, but I just found myself being too much of an editor. Even, I was trying to get away from editing, because I wanted the show to be quicker to record. And, and nowadays, I just kind of edit as I go. So, when I make a mistake, I stop, I delete the mistake, and then I keep going. And that's how I keep myself from editing. I edit sort of in real time, more or less, and, and that's how I got around that. And and in so doing, in, in moving everything to production and avoiding post, I discovered that I was getting a lot better results without this normalized tool because this normalized tool is not a compressor, it's not a gate, it is simply a normalized tool. And what that means, if, if you don't use a compressor and a gate, if you've never had the, the pleasure, then uh, that there's no awareness in the normalize, in this normalized command, of when to stop increasing, of when not to increase a volume. So in other words, in, in a recording, you'll hear that you have a noise floor. And that's, that's, that's an expected thing. It happens everywhere. People try to minimize that as much as possible by, by sound, by dampening the, their recording environment, which I have not done in any way. I, that is kind of a cool idea, though. I wonder if I could get a sound booth constructed in here. That would be really neat. That would be very cool. Anyway, um, people do that with sound dampening. You you see the, the egg carton um, foam. It's not really an egg carton, but it's foam that looks kind of like an egg carton. You've seen it in movies, at least, or, or videos. Um, and so there's this noise floor. And so ideally, your your volume adjustment tool of choice would learn and, and not... It wouldn't actually learn. It would. It, you would. You would dictate it. You would set a threshold, and you would tell it, "Look, once you get down to like negative 36, negative 40 range, just don't don't raise that. Just leave that at negative 30 or negative 40 or whatever. That is called a gate, or even very very commonly, it's called a noise gate. And it just it simply says, "Hey, if something is under a certain threshold, don't don't touch that." Or or if if you have it, uh, if you in, on some gates, you can you can say any anything below that that threshold, uh, cramp you know reduce it even further, like force that down. So normalize doesn't do that. It it simply it looks at the overall volume and it says, "Okay, well we need to get this to negative 12 dBFS. Let's do it." And that's what it does. It has awareness of peaks. Of, of of how loud you you're you're getting so it it's it's a wee bit a, a little bit not really like a compressor it's really it, it mostly just has it has the ability to to limit which i think uh, if I, I i would have to look up the specifications a new I, I haven't really thought about this it's it's either that limiters are functions of compressors or compressors are functions of limiters i i'm feeling like the limiter would have to be a function of a compressor because that would be 
okay, over a certain thing, apply, yeah, it's got to be a limiter is, a, is essentially a, a finely tuned and, and hyper-specific function of a compressor. Anyway, doesn't really matter. Point is, normalize doesn't do the noise gate function. It does not know about that. And so when you, after you normalize an audio file, you can load it into some visualizer like Audacity or something, look at those sound waves, uh, look at it in the decibel view, and you'll see, you'll, you'll see that, that that noise floor has been increased. So all the, the room tone around you that you don't want ha- is now louder along with the rest of your, your, your signal. And if you do, if, if you do the same, if you take that same file before you normalize it, bring it into something like Audacity, apply a compressor to it, then you you might find that the the noise floor has been unaffected because the the compressor in Audacity has a a gate function, so the the noise floor will be unaffected, but everything else above it, or or it will be less affected either either way depends on what you've set. Um, and everything above it has been has been increased. What normalize also does not do, and I don't I don't imagine you would you would want this. Anyway, but it, well, maybe you would, maybe maybe you would. Um, normalize does not take quiet parts of the audio and raise them to be closer to the louder parts of the audio. That's not what normalize does. That's more of a leveling function. That's not what normalize is all about. So really, honestly, normalize it takes an audio file, it analyzes its loudness, and then it makes that loudness closer to the average of, by default negative 12 db simple and the the options that you have when when interfacing with normalize are amplitude to override what the target amplitude is uh batch this is this is useful because this will analyze a bunch of files right dash b or dash dash batch it you feed it a bunch of files it gets the levels of all of the files and then it figures out what average volume would be optimal for them all to sort of, you know, fit in together. Dash dash clipping, you allow normalized to clip audio um, signals. I don't know why you would want that. Uh, I would imagine it would be something where the the sound, it just, you know, it just needs to be normalized no matter what. You Maybe you're, you're doing transcription or something and you just need to hear all the voices more or less equally. Something like that. I don't know. Um, dash dash fractions display levels as fractions of maximum amplitude instead of decibels. That's um, interesting. Uh, dash dash gain so that means that tells it don't compute the level just apply this adjustment so it is just it is a way for you to force gain onto an audio file which is useful that's useful that means that if you have an audio file and you want to increase its volume across the board no matter what you can do a dash dash gain and then some adjustments and it will normalize will apply that gain for you Dash dash limiter limits all samples above a certain level. By default, this is negative six. Like I say, you could pump that up to like negative one if you wanted to. Um, not really any harm in doing that, to be honest. It's just it's going to be a little bit louder that way. Zero decibels would be, of course, the ceiling. You cannot cannot get above that level in digital. You'll hear a bunch of uh, distortion if you do. Dash dash mix is mix mode. Get the average of all levels and normalize the volume of each file to that average. I don't know how that is different from batch, um, except that batch specifically says get average of all levels and use one adjustment based on the average level for all files, whereas mix get average of all levels and normalize volume of each file to the average. Oh, I see how that's different now. Yes, reading it out loud is is useful. Okay, so that there's batch and mix. Dash dash no adjust. Already done that, right? We we saw that earlier. You run that, you get a report on what would would happen, but it doesn't actually apply any of those changes. So it's a it's a dry run essentially. Dash dash peak. Adjust by peak level instead of using loudness analysis. Um, let's see anything interesting. Dash dash average dash threshold when computing average level. Ignore any levels more than some decibels from average. So that's kind of that's kind of interesting. Uh, that that is kind of nice. That's almost a little bit like a like a compressor. It sounds like so when computing the average level, ignore any levels more than well you know it's not a compressor it's more like um well it's 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 lying about the average essentially it's ignoring some things when calculating the average adjust threshold don't bother applying any adjustments smaller than 
some number of decibels. So if something's good enough, then or if something's close enough, it's good enough. Dash dash output dash bit width. Four suggested files to have some bit of samples. Uh, I don't think I would use normalized for that personally. And that's about it. That's that's normalized. I mean, I guess it's nice that you can adjust the bit the, the bit width of of a file with normalized. I just I'm, for some reason I just feel like that's that's going one step too far in the do one thing or or that's that's maybe going well. It 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 one thing doing it do one thing do it well normalize normalizes audio well. I don't know that I would use it for a bit width adjustment, personally. It's just me. Anyway, Normalize. It's a nice little application. It's useful to have. It's just not as flexible, I think, as probably I would want it to be for audio production. And it really doesn't make a claim to be intended for that. It it somewhere, I think, it said, man, Normalize, I want to feel like... Yeah, it's used to adjust the volume of wave audio files to a standard volume level. This is a useful this is useful for things like creating MP3 mixes where different recording levels on different albums can cause the volume to vary greatful great greatly from song to song. So that is its self-stated purpose and I don't know that I would be using it for audio production simply because, or if I did, it would be it, that would be one command in a series of lots and lots of other commands because you wouldn't. This would not be. This isn't granular granular enough, I don't think, for general for, for for production use. Okay, that's that's normalized. Let's go get a cup of coffee and then we'll come back and we'll talk about PA mixer. <laughs> Hopefully you've gotten a cup of coffee. We're ready to talk about PA Mixer. PA Mixer is the Pulse Audio Mixer command, and it doesn't have a man page. So you can do a PA Mixer dash dash help and get a couple of different options. Some of them are what I'll call, I guess, diagnostic, and then so, and others are actual settings. So for instance, if we start actually from the bottom, we could do list sources, PA Mixer dash dash list sources, and it tells you, okay, well, you got zero ALSA output analog surround 51.monitor monitor of built-in audio analog surround 5.1. One, ALSA input uh, analog stereo, built-in audio analog stereo. ALSA output Plantronics, monitor of Plantronics.audio 626 DSP analog stereo. And then three, ALSA Plantronics, Plantronics, Plantronics.audio 626 DSP analog stereo. There you go. Those are the sources of audio for my system right now. If I do list-syncs, that's S-I-N-K-S. That's not S-Y-N-C-S. It is S-I-N-K-S, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Zero, also output, also surround 5.1, so that's built-in audio analog surround 5.1. And then one is plantronics.audio 626 DSP analog stereo. You may wonder what a sync and a source is, and that is a fair question. So, a sync is a place where sound can get sent to. And I'm saying it that way in a very, uh, a very deliberate, for a, for a, I'm saying that deliberately. I'm not saying sync is an output. It essentially is. But I, I'm, I'm saying that, that significantly, syncs are a place where audio can be sent to, and sources are a place where audio comes from. And the reason I'm saying it in such a weird way, and I believe that probably the reason it is expressed, you know, that these terms are being used in PA Mixer and Pulse, Pulse Audio in general, is for the same reason, and that is because output and input has, we, we have very specific understandings of what of what that would mean, which you, you think might be a useful thing, you know, that we have conventions that actually help us understand these things. And and so why are we creating a new one called sync and source? And I'll, I'll agree that it is a little bit of a, it, there is some confusion there. However, if you think about where Pulse Audio came from, or even better yet, 
what pulse audio is, let's say, correcting, then you have, for instance, ALSA. And, and that's, I guess, that's not really what it's replacing. It's it's theoretically replacing ESD, Enlightened Sound Demon, which I, I was never even fully aware of, even though it was probably something that I used early on in Linux. But there's this, there was a setup at one point where you had a speaker, maybe it was your headphones, maybe it was a speaker that you had plugged into your computer, maybe it was a speaker that came bundled with your computer because you your computer's a laptop so it just has speakers built in, you don't know how it's connected, they're just there. And that's your output device. Audio is output through through that device. The way it worked before Pulse came along was that you had this device and if you wanted to send sound to the device, you would you would select it in a in a volume mixer of some sort or or tell your application, "Hey, play sound through that device." And that application would grab hold of that device for itself. It would send sound to that device and the sound would play provided that that device and that application are both sort of talking the same language or rather uh are 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 providing the information to one another that the other one needs. So for instance, if you had this sound device that could only play, I don't know, up to um, a certain bit rate, and your application was feeding it sound of a, of a different bit rate, then there would be a problem. You wouldn't be able to, there would be an error. You would get an error. I can't play this sound through that device. There, it doesn't, the conversion that needs to happen just isn't happening. Now, a lot of, there are some, there are libraries out there and, and, and little intermediary demons that, that could translate accordingly so that you didn't run into that all that often. What you would more often run into in practice, uh, was a conflict of sort of device ownership. And that would occur when you would have one one application that was grabbing hold of, of a device, of an output device, and another one would then try to also output through that device, and you couldn't have that. That wouldn't work. And boy, was that annoying. And that would happen fairly frequently, where you would have uh, something dominating some other some some device, and then you'd launch, like, Firefox and try to play a sound through Firefox, and it just wouldn't play. Couldn't couldn't do that. And I don't remember if that was a a problem with the way that Firefox wasn't wasn't um, viewing sound devices correctly, or whether it was a, a failing of of the sound system at the time. I don't remember. Also, to be fair, was pretty good at regulating all of those different things. But if you keep going far enough back, then you run into sound systems that that predate ALSA, and that just couldn't, it just couldn't handle it. It was a very one-to-one -one kind of relationship, and it was problematic. I could have some of the details there wrong. I, I came in to Linux once ALSA already existed, and it is, it's pretty nice. It's a pretty good little sound system. But it, it's not quite as flexible as something like Pulse. And Pulse, essentially, it, it, it spins up a server, a sound server, and it listens for sound signals, whether they are coming from a source or whether they're requests to send audio to a specific sync. And it can do all of those things. So in other words, it is kind of a, a hub where a bunch of signals can go and then get sorted appropriately. Ownership of each device is claimed by Pulse itself, and so other applications don't have to fight for ownership of the device. They just blindly send a signal to Pulse, and Pulse figures out where everything needs to go. It's a really big deal, honestly. It, it, this is one of those strangely controversial technologies in Linux that I will never understand the controversy for. I, this this is a such a good thing for Linux to have. This is the kind of first-class user experience that anyone in their right mind would expect. Not to say that if you don't like Pulse, you're not in your right mind. You, more likely, the situation is that you are not the target audience for Pulse. And I understand that that is a thing. Absolutely a thing. Like, on certain devices where all I do is maybe, I don't know, do graphics or something, or write code, then maybe... I wouldn't want Pulse on those devices, and I, I would hope that the modularity of Linux is retained strong enough for that to be to be possible. Although, from what I understand, and again, haven't actually looked into this, but what I what, what from what I can tell, Bluetooth apparently 
basically like the Bluetooth library that that makes Bluetooth work on Linux is sort of apparently like hard coded for Pulse. And uh, in the end, Slackware 14.2, which is what I'm running now, and if you're running Slackware, it's probably what you're running now. Well, unless you're running current, I guess. But still, that's that's still arguably 14.2. It's just a progression on top of that. The reason that it has Pulse included in it, the only reason it has Pulse included in it, is because Bluetooth demanded that Pulse be present on the system. And that's a little bit annoying because let's let's assume, let's imagine that you are just doing, I don't know, graphics or just code on a, a device, but you're using a Bluetooth keyboard or a Bluetooth mouse or, or something, I don't know. Actually, I, you know what? No, no, that's true. I was going to say, don't, don't they usually have dongles that kind of voids that necessity anyway? But I don't think that's true. Some of them don't have dongles. Um, then you wouldn't be able to use Bluetooth, as I understand it, without also loading Pulse. And that would be annoying and disappointing, frankly. But I don't know that we could blame Pulse necessarily for that so much as the compile options for, for lib blues or, or whatever it is. Um, I have not messed around with that myself, so I'm speaking um, very theoretically based on what I think I remember reading in the changelog of Slackware some six years ago. Take all of that with a grain of salt. Point is, I think Pulse is great. I think it's a really, really useful system. And I don't understand why anyone would ever hate it. Um, but I understand that some people do hate it, so it's okay. So PA Mixer dash dash list syncs is telling me all the places where sound can be directed right now. Now, if I, for instance, speaking of Bluetooth, I can connect this little Bluetooth speaker that I got as swag from a particularly nice group of open source people that I'm involved with. If I connect that to my system, just waiting for it to connect... Did I ever tell you how much I hated Bluetooth, by the way? I'm not sure if I've, if I've ever mentioned that on this show. Cannot stand Bluetooth. Okay, so I've just spent about 10 minutes um, fiddling with with the the wonders of Bluetooth, and here we go. Um, so now I do PA mixer dash dash list dash syncs, and I've got zero uh, as my built-in audio, two uh, w one as my Plantronics headset, which is how you're hearing me right now, but this is a sync, remember, so you're hearing me through the source side of Plantronics. You are not hearing me through the sync side. I, I would, if I played this audio back to myself, then I would hear it through the sync. Uh, and then finally, two is blues underscore sync, which is orig audio dash bt, which is this, um, I couldn't get the speaker to connect. So I connected some Bluetooth headphones, which was also some free swag. I get a lot of Bluetooth swag lately. I don't know why. Uh, and not not during 2020, obviously that would be that would be crazy. Uh, that was previous years at technical conferences. I got those. So anyway, point is that we're seeing now in the report of PA Mixer that there are new devices available. I can through PA Mixer uh, affect these devices one way or another. So for instance, I could increase the volume of a device. So that would be PA mixer dash dash increase or, or dash I if you're lazy. And then the argument of whatever thing that you want to increase. And the way that you would define what you want to affect is either a dash dash sync and then uh, uh, the index number of a sync or dash dash source and then the index number of the source. So for instance, if I do PA mixer dash dash increase two, let's say, and then we'll do a dash dash sync and I'm going to affect this this new headphone that I've just plugged in or c connected through Bluetooth. And so that'll be a sync 2. And hit return, and it silently does a thing. How do we know what it's done? Well, you can, well, I mean, you could certainly look at your volume control in your GUI if you happen to remember where the volume was set for, for that device. I don't. So instead, we could get that through this command, PA mixer, dash dash, get dash volume, and then dash dash sync, uh, and then two, because that's the, the device that I want to, to get information on. Looks like it's set at 63 right now. So let's control P back up to PA mixer, dash dash increase. Let's do an increase of 10, dash dash sync two. That does it. And then PA mixer, dash dash, get volume, dash dash sync, dash two. And now it's set at 73, which is obviously exactly what we would expect. You could do the opposite. You can do a dash dash decrease or just dash D and then some some value. You can mute with a dash dash toggle dash mute or just dash T to toggle mute on mute off. If you just if you know that it's on and you want to just mute it quickly, you could just do PA mixer dash M or dash dash mute 
and then dash dash sync to, and then that would mute that device. If you want to live dangerously and go above 100% volume, you can do a dash dash allow dash boost. You can determine whether you are muted, dash dash git dash mute, and um, you could set directly a volume, dash dash set dash volume. You want to set it to 10, dash dash set dash volume 10, dash dash sync 2, and then that would that would change that. In other words, this is, and that's honestly about, that's about it. That's all the, that's about all the, the options that this thing has. Um, it is clearly, I think, a very intuitive command. Once you get sort of the feeling, you just, you start to guess things, you know? Well, what if I wanted to mute it? Dash dash set dash mute? No, that wasn't it. How about just dash dash mute? Oh, yep, that's it. I mean, it's that it's that simple, and I love commands like that. I know that not all commands can be like that, because a lot of commands, you know, they just, they're, they're it's kind of a guessing game at some point of what an option should be called, but boy, it's nice when they are like this. You just, you get the feel for this command immediately. And I think I think this is one of those things where when you type in man PA mixer and you don't get anything, well that's not good. PA mixer dash dash help. Oh, that's why I didn't need a manual because it's really easy to use. I just I think that's there's a certain beauty to this, and that's that's what's going on here. Now there's no the the one thing I guess that that it's important to note that this does not do is this doesn't um this isn't your mix I mean it is a mixer but this is not your this is not PA vol control or whatever that's that horribly named um what is it pavu pavu control P A V U control. Don't know why they thought Pa Vu control made sense, but that's what they named it. It's a great application. If you haven't tried Pa Vu control, then you should definitely take a look. It is it is your interface to Pulse Audio. That is the that is your gateway into Pulse Audio directly. You want to check that out. Interestingly, you might even say strangely on on GNOME, I don't think this is a thing. Pavu control, I don't think it even exists. Which is weird, because Pavu control, when you launch it, at least on a KDE system, to me, to my eyes at least, it looks just like an, a GNOME application invading your KDE space. It looks really, really obviously not of a KDE. I don't know if it's just gone away and it's just been merged into GNOME settings, or whether... Gnome settings is a essentially a, a front or a, the sound settings is sort of a front end to Pavu control and it's just kind of rearranged its widgets or what doesn't really matter it's just it is a thing that I notice when I'm on Gnome at work and I go to my sound panel I just think oh my gosh this is not what I'd expected this is different it's it's just as effective I I don't have any complaints about it I'm just saying it is different and I believe there was a time where it was not different. I could be misremembering. So it could just be that Pavu control is an artifact of, you know, of, of Pulse, whatever version of Pulse I have on 14.2 that was released four, five, ten years ago now. I don't even know when Slackware 14.2 came out. I, I think it was right before I moved here to New Zealand, so maybe maybe that would be going on seven years ago. Either way, point is, Pavu control lets you look at, for instance, the... Well, I won't do that one. How about... Hmm, not that one either. Uh, well, okay. So I, I won't do it, but I'll talk about it. So you can go to the recording, for instance, and in this case, Audacity shows up there because it's the active stream. And I could click on the selector and tell it to stop using Plantronics as input and use some other... What would it be? A sync or a source? If you said source, you have learned much about Pulse Audio, or you already knew it. Um, I could use a different source for the audio that is getting sent to Pulse and then distributed out into um, into Audacity through an ALSA plugin, by the way. It's a lot of a lot of routing that goes on there, and this is exactly the beauty of Pulse. You want this, you want that. That is something that you want. And I know a lot of people say, well, we had that with Jack. And we did, we did. It just, for whatever reason, Jack was not about system control. Jack was a purpose-built application. I don't still quite know why Jack was not a suitable solution for what Pulse delivers. I remember when Pulse first came out, a lot of people said that very explicitly. Why do we need Pulse when we already have Jack? And and I never really understood why. The people over at Jack were just like, oh, well, we're, we're just, we don't do that. We don't do, we're not a system demon, we're, we're Jack. Um, so I don't know what, you know, what the, what exactly the, 
the difference really is. Functionally, it seems like if we could have integrated Jack deep down into the system, that would have made sense. But I don't know. Either way, what we ended up with Pulse in the end was quite nice. And I will I will also admit freely, because I had to live through it along with everyone else, early Pulse was not modern Pulse. Pulse in the early days was painful. And I don't know that it was necessarily Pulse that was painful or everything else on Linux that hadn't been built for Pulse. But either way, whatever it was, there were a lot of... Um, that there was a lot of growth and a lot of pain early, early on. And I mean, you'll, you'll still run into it from time to time. You'll still have problems. I mean, to this day, if I'm, if I'm doing audio, uh, audio work on, on Slackware, uh, sometimes when I plug in a device, it won't, it will be intercepted by, I guess, Pulse, and it won't get sent on through to jack and then i have to issue a special uh, command to enable that device to be seen by jack it, it's it's it can be a little bit annoying the sort of conflict in in sound systems but overall for like 96 percent of requirements pulse is absolutely fantastic it lets you juggle sound around your system it generally does it flawlessly when I am annoyed by Pulse, it is usually because I have forgotten to plug something in or because some, some other system is not working, like when I was just trying now trying to connect the stupid speaker that normally works when I'm not recording. It works fine. Um, wouldn't connect to Bluetooth, so it doesn't show up in Pulse. You can't really blame Pulse for that. You know, that's, that's not Pulse's fault. So Pulse, it's good. PA Mixer adds power to Pulse, so definitely... Check that out next time you're sitting around and cannot be bothered to take your hand off the keyboard to go to the mouse to adjust a volume. You can do that now. PA Mixer is the is the answer, and that's really, really nice. Okay, I know you probably thought we were done for, for this episode, but honestly, this one's really quick. PM-Util. That is Power Management Utilities, I think think it's got two commands in it there's on ac power and pm is supported those are the two commands they are i think arguably very um very obvious as to what they do and uh quite limited as to what they do it is it, it is a pure pure convenience type of of commands they're both shell scripts so if you uh if you go to to your user bin folder and take a look, you'll see exactly what they're doing. And they're really not doing a whole lot. It is absolutely, um, this is just one of those really nice convenience things. And this way you don't have to, you don't have to figure this stuff out for yourself. These are by, um, I guess originally, uh, uh, Stefan Seifred, uh, and Peter Jones and Richard Hughes. Richard Hughes, um, you may or may not know if you're into color management. Uh, and I think actually he might do the software center on GNOME as well. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I don't, I don't exactly remember. Either way, really simple little sh shell scripts, and um, their use is maybe not exactly what you might expect. I don't know. So pm-is-supported. That is the name of the, the command, one, one of the commands, one of the two commands. And then you have, so if you just type that in, then it tells you you have three options, suspend, hibernate, or suspend hybrid. And so you can check to see which of those is supported. So you can do dash dash suspend. Interestingly, it doesn't do anything. It just, it, it that's exactly what it, it's, PM is supported, dash dash suspend, and now I'm back at my prompt. What kind of, what kind of nonsense is that? Well, the point is that you can now pipe it in through either an and and, or an or or, and that's an ampersand ampersand, or a pipe pipe, for, to, to get a response, depending on, on, on what you get. So in this case, I'm gonna do an and and, echo, is supported, and of course I could even do, pipe pipe and do echo is not supported close quote so i do that pm is supported dash dash suspend and and echo is and and echo or 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 echo not uh so i get is supported so suspend is supported on this system that's nice what about hibernate hibernate uh is supported on this system wow this is pretty cool i didn't even actually know any of this suspend dash hybrid is supported so i'm getting a lot of positives here so i could in theory now do like a pm dash suspend i think is the name of the command no suspend just suspend i guess and and then it would suspend my system i'm not going to do that i'm in the middle of recording so that's kind of nice to know what about on ac power well that one bizarrely is on underscore 
ac underscore power. So the other one is dash, this one is underscore. I don't know why they would have that would have been the, the default. But we can do essentially the same thing. We can do an echo uh, echo uh, yes on AC power. Well, just yes on AC. How's that? So yes, we are on AC power. And I happen to know that that's true because this is my desktop and I don't have a battery for it. So there you go. Um, it would be interesting to see what would happen if the power... Now, surely that would... Yeah, that would that would still... I was trying to get um, a false... A false reading by turning off all the power in this house and just going off of my um, my battery backup here and seeing what it would tell me. But surely it would only it wouldn't read that. That's an external battery. So to it, yes, it's still on AC. All right, there you go. Um, that's those that's PM util and uh, it's that that's it. So there are some README files in the documentation. It, it, there's one from Robbie Workman who tells you how to do what I just did, except he does it more gracefully because he's got um, a loop in there that, that checks all three things and returns uh, what it what it tells you or, or what it, what it has found. And um, that's that's it. PMUtil. So that we got we knocked through uh, I guess three packages today instead of just the two. So next time we're gonna do we'll take a look at PowerTop. QPDF and maybe a couple others. Maybe we'll get to Radeon Tool. Uh, probably, probably could do Radeon Tool pretty quickly because I don't have a Radeon card, so that would be going pretty quickly for me. Anyway, that's it for this episode. I will talk to you next week. listening to the GNU World Order AUGcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AUGcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.